0: Duke fans, hello and welcome. This is episode number 215 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We are coming to you just after the July 4th weekend. I hope you guys had a safe holiday weekend. I am your host this week, Donald Wine. I was in the mountains in upstate New York, kind of stretching my legs and relaxing for a weekend to kind of clear my mind with some friends. It was a great time. Just got back here a couple hours before we were recording. I also have my two friends with me, Jason Evans in Atlanta. Jason, how was your weekend? Uh,
1: it was pretty good. Actually, my July 4th, I went to Duke. Um, not exactly, kind of. So my son uh, attends University of Pennsylvania. He wanted to go back to Penn. My mother-in-law wanted to come visit us. She's in Philadelphia. So we did a trade um, she kind of went halfway with my sister-in-law and then, so I drove from Atlanta up to Duke, dropped my son with my sister-in-law. She drove him back up North, picked up my mother-in-law, trading my son for my mother-in-law. I don't know if that's the greatest trade ever made,
0: <laughs> but we I, did hope the she, trade. I hope she's not in the room with you. So you, she can she's hear not. you say that
1: she's <laughs> not, but we did the trade in Durham. So I was at Duke for a brief, brief moment this weekend.
0: That's awesome. Uh, and also I believe in Cape Cod, We have Sam Klein. Sam, how was your weekend?
2: Weekend was good, very relaxing. The fireworks out here were muted, I think, particularly relative to normal, because I just don't think there are as many people up here as there normally are. But it's been a good time being up here with my family and continuing to stay healthy and, unfortunately, continuing to read all the news.
0: Yeah, there was a really big story that popped off just before the fourth holiday, and we'll start with that. And it is in the world of women's basketball, and it goes back to Duke. Uh, we, have, we are now looking for a women's basketball head coach as Joanne P. McCallie, the head coach of Duke women's basketball, announced her resignation last week. Uh, it was kind of a surprise move given the timing of things, but uh, I turn it to you first, Jason. What, I, I mean, what, what did you think about when you heard this news and what does this mean for the program in general?
1: I, I think it's a good thing for the Duke program. Um, I, I don't want to come on here and be overly critical of, of a coach. So I'm not going to say much about Joanne McCallie's tenure at Duke, other than it started out very well. Um, and, um, but, but it, but it kind of went downhill and and I, I don't think there are many people who, who feel like her leaving um, is a, is a terrible decision on Duke's part. Um, uh, the team's performance on the court in terms of wins and losses has has not been up to recent standards in recent years. And McCallie's performance as a recruiter has really slipped. I think I read someplace that Duke has not gotten a top 25 recruit since t- 2017. And uh, the, the Duke program used to reel in top five, top 10, top 25 recruits, multiples of them on an annual basis. Um, and, and we just haven't been doing that lately. So if you're not recruiting and you're not winning, and you're not doing very well or even making the NCAA tournament, your tenure as a Duke basketball coach is not going to be a, uh, a long one. And so, uh, so John McCallie, um left. She was clearly her, con- she was in the last year of her contract. It was clearly not going to be extended. Um, and she was not going to get a new deal. This was going to be her last season. And I, I will say this about her. I think it's, I think it's good for the program that she decided not to just play out the string. It would have been another year, waiting for um, for Duke to get a, a a new head coach in place, which would have meant another year of waiting on good recruiting. Um, so, so uh, you know, I, I think these events are positive for Duke. And, and I know from talking to people, I, I myself am not plugged into the women's college basketball world the way I am the men's college basketball world. But I have some sources. I have some friends who are very plugged into women's college basketball and the Duke program as well they have told me that the Duke job is a incredibly attractive job, that there are a number of big time coaches out there who are going to be interested in this job. Now, whether those coaches are a fit with what Duke wants in terms of the salary Duke is willing to pay in terms of the culture that Duke has, I don't know, but I I strongly suspect that we are going to see that that I, I can tell you, there's a lot of interest in this job.
0: Jason, you brought up a good point when you mentioned the timing of things there But I think there's two sides to that timing there. Yes, there's timing now and the fact that they can instill a head coach, uh, bring in somebody that they want and and really be able to tackle recruiting next year. But Sam, I go to you. There's also the side of the the players were supposed to report to campus in a couple of weeks. We we don't know if we will have time to bring in a new coach or if we're going to go with one of the current assistants as a Interim on our interim basis, do we lo- like how does this timing work on that end with regards to the players that we do have that are going to Durham in a couple of weeks?
2: I think you have to look at the 2020 2021 season as likely a lost season for Duke women's basketball. Whether you know, there should be limited expectations for this program next year, the athletic department headed by Kevin White is looking at a is you know, right now working on. What is the state of college athletics going to look like in the fall? I don't know if he was, you know, how much heads up he had to expect this thing and and when his was regarding are they going to extend her or not? Because I imagine that was something of a back and forth. But the the key here is to install a head coach who's going to be ready for the 2021 2022 season and to to really not be focused on this year. It's not clear that the basketball season is going to look like it normally does. The team is already short on players. They they, they only have 10 scholarship players wow. currently signed up to to be on the team. So they were already going to be shorthanded. And and perhaps Coach P's leaving may, I, I don't know if it will, but but may encourage other players to think about transferring. So there are a lot of reasons why this season could be a tough one for Duke. I think looking ahead is going to be important. What's interesting to me, and I do want to give this back to Jason to think about, kind of looking at who the next head coach might be. The interesting thing about where Duke is now is that Coach P's been there long enough that all of the relatively recent alumni played for her. This is not a coach who was only there for her first three, four, five seasons and then got fired. She's been there for 12 years. So there are a lot of alumni who played for her. And prior to that, we only had one coach prior to coach p over the last 25 years at duke that was gail Gustinkers, who was successful at duke and then left for texas and didn't last very long there so there is a there's kind of a an interesting opportunity here for duke to really redefine what the program is about and and we haven't heard yet from the athletic department or from or from sources that are reporting to national media or anything about what the most important things are for this coaching shirts is it people who played for Duke? Is it people who have worked at Duke before? Is it people who have WNBA experience or, or other women's professional experience? There are, I know there are a lot of leagues that are over like in Europe, a lot of the players play in Russia. So there may be opportunities to bring those coaches in. We don't know yet what the most important factors are for bringing in a new head coach. And that will kind of help us steer to figure out, are we getting another existing college coach? Are we getting a Duke person? Are we getting someone totally outside that realm?
0: And on that line, I, I think there's a you know, we'll get to coach G in a second because I think that's an interesting uh, name that was brought up and and really has been circulating. But when it comes to Duke Women's basketball, I think Jason's right in that there are some really high profile coaches that could be interested. But high, how high profile are we going to get here? I mean, are we talking about a Don Staley, a Muffin McGraw who just you know who just retired? Is is this someone that they're going to bring in on kind of like an interim basis while they have someone in the ranks ready to you know grooving to ready to go? One that I think, not necessarily for head coach, but maybe be part of the staff. Don't don't rule out uh, Elena Beard because she just retired for the WBA. She has her number in the rafters. Class Class 2004, the greatest class of all time. She is one of those players that has been thinking about getting into coaching, and if she is going to get her start, what better place than come home to Durham and be on the bench for a few years before she, you know, just like on the men's side, before she applies her trade somewhere else or even as the Duke women's coach down the line. But Jason, I want to go back to you because I think the coach, uh, Coach G, being the one of the first candidates that was listed was very interesting because it was the person, you know, coach P was the person that replaced her here back in 2007. What does this mean? Is this something where it was kind of like Mac Brown at UNC where we're going back in time, or was this a legit chance to bring in somebody that we think will redefine the program, as you said?
1: Well, I know that there were a group of uh, women's basketball, Duke women's basketball supporters, who were trying to put together, and these are, powerful, these are powerful alumni forces. They were trying to put together a package deal where Coach G would be brought back with Alana Beard as her chief assistant, uh, with the idea being that Coach G would coach for a few years and then Beard would take over as head coach. And additionally, they were talking about, and they thought they had a plan somewhat worked out, that Joy Cheek, who is currently the chief recruiting assistant at Clemson, but also a very successful Duke basketball player considered one of the best recruiters in the game right now That Clemson program. She's doing wonders recruiting there um, that she would come in sort of as the number two assistant coach with an eye toward being the chief recruiter for that team. So that we were going to essentially, we're getting the old band back together to some extent. Um, and I know that these, these fans, these supporters of women's basketball really thought that they had this in place, that they were going to be able to do this. And I think that – and we now know that that's not going to happen because it, is, it has been leaked that, that Duke has hired a search firm and that they are not going to consider Gale cores for, for the head coaching job. That's not to say that they won't look at you know Joy Cheek in some capacity or won't look at Atlanta Beard in some capacity. I hope they do. But the interesting thing to me is that right now we are, we are going to get a peek at whether or not the Duke Athletic Department values connection to Duke – more than outside experience or other qualifications. I mean, this is a very high profile job and Gail yeah. Gossin, course, is certainly connected to Duke, Atlanta Beard. You don't get more connected to the women's program than arguably the best player in the history of the program. Joy Cheek. again, a player who's been here for many years connected to the program. Does Duke go with someone like that? And there are other names. There's Katie Meyer, who is a great Duke player, a good friend of mine. I, Katie was one of my best friends when I was in school. Katie Meyer's is the head coach at Miami. Um, Uh, a a great Duke star. There are other names out there. There are people connected to Duke. So I'm fascinated to see, are we going to go after one of these names that's connected to Duke, or are we going to cast a wide net and go after the best name that we can get? Um, Because I think that's a forebearer of what we may see with Coach K. Admittedly, the situation where Coach P is being sort of shunted to the side and the program's not in great shape, very different than what's going to happen when Coach K leaves. I'm certain of that. But I think it's very interesting to see whether or not, you know, we stay in the family or if we get the best we can get for the Duke program. Sam.
2: By the way, thinking about that coaching search, Kevin White has been at Duke for almost as long as Coach P has, but he hasn't yet made a very high profile hire on, a, on the coaching side, right? We, we hired a new baseball coach a few years ago who's done very well at Duke, but Coach K is still here. John Danowski – the lacrosse coach was hired by Joe Oliva right before he left, as was David Cutcliffe. David Cutcliffe, being the the of the, if you can consider the sort of big three of college yeah. sports, being there, there are three football, positions men, that matter: basketball uh, and at Duke, you could say men's lacrosse is important. It's a high profile, high profile job. And when John Danowski was hired, it obviously had a lot of eyeballs, given what went on in the program before his arrival. So this is as long as Kevin White has been at Duke, this is his first big hire, and and it's very possible that he's going to be around to replace both Coach Cutcliffe and Mike Shishovsky at some point in the next few years, depending on you know when those guys decide to retire. So we will also get a peek here at Kevin White's ability to to make the big hire. It's been a long time since he he did that at, at Notre Dame. He he made football at. Uh, hires at Notre Dame, but hasn't done it at Duke yet. So that's another factor here that is an unknown, even for us when we, when we look in at the program, because it just hasn't happened in a long time.
0: Yeah. And and I think that's the X factor here is the fact that he gets a chance to finally bring in his person. Uh, I will say about Joy Cheek, Joy Cheek. what That's going to be interesting because I feel like when it comes to her, the program is going to have to reconciliate with her because she is, you know, She's one of the reasons why we had those allegations on Coach P back uh, a few years ago when she abruptly left the program. Now I would love to see her back, but I think that reconciliation would have to be uh, in place first before she probably considers coming back to her alma mater. But it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. You know, maybe uh, you know Kevin White has some tricks up his sleeve, but it, it remains to be seen what happens going forward with those players. Returning in a couple of weeks, we'll see what happens with the program and, and see and, and see if we can salvage something in 2020, 2021. OK, guys, I want to get into men's college basketball because we had a bit of a eye scratching. Uh, let me restart. <laughs> eye <Eye-scratching. I laughs> scratch. Our, you can't scratch your <laughs> eyes in the wait, COVID wait. world. It, it was eye
1: and, and head-opening, right?
0: Yeah, head-opening. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Head-awakening.
2: And ball-busting.
0: <laughs> okay, guys, I want to shift to men's basketball because we had a really interesting commit. It wasn't at Duke, but it involves a former Duke athlete who is now the head coach at an HBCU. We you remember last week, we were talking about how HBCUs could be the center of a lot of college commitments in the future. Well, that future was like three days later, because at this point, McCour maker, who is the brother of Thon maker, a five-star athlete, six eleven, is committed to Howard and Kenny Blakeney, uh, a guy who has been on our podcast, a friend, friend of the podcast, uh, a former Duke athlete who was the head coach there. He was able to get one of the first five stars for any HBCU in recent memory and when i say recent memory i mean a long time uh i mean thought McCoy was was fake was uh considering alabama kentucky memphis oregon and decided to go to howard and on top of that when this commitment happened the biggest fan in the world of this commitment was mikey williams which was a guy that we discussed last week a guy who is considering who has said in the past that he is considering. Going to an HBCU, and Howard was one of those on his list. Sam, I want to start with you. What does this mean for Howard? And did we, everything that we talked about last week, did we just, were we off by several, several years? Did we really mean several days?
2: I didn't know that this was going to happen so quickly for us. And when we picked this topic, my thought was like, yeah, this is great. I'm really excited for this to happen someday. I didn't know that someday was going to be this week. I'm really happy for Kenny Blakeney and also happy for fellow Duke alum, Tyler Thornton, who is on Kenny Blakeney's staff. Let's not forget that Tyler Thornton is. Shout out is Tyler. Yep. I don't know. I, I don't know the ins and outs of the Howard uh, recruiting teams. Wait, wait, can I, can I,
1: can I really, really quick? Um, when we talked about nicknames, we never said Tiny Thor. And that's, that's a terrible, terrible. <laughs> last week uh, when we talked I, nicknames, oh, Tiny but, Thor is a great nickname.
2: <laughs> hang on. Tyler Thornton also had Prayer Thornton. You remember from from the the Kansas game? Yes. In Miami when we played Kansas, and Tyler yes. Thornton, had an awesome three pointer, and it was Prayer Thornton. I think someone made a made like an Air Jordan logo out of it. That was pretty mm-hmm. cool. So yeah, because
1: he spread his legs in a crazy way when he hit that shot. Yeah, I
2: would like I would like for us at a at a at a different show to talk about whether we think Tyler Thornton was awesome or not because I think it's a great debate and he was <laughs> he played and he played for Duke. He played for Duke right before he graduated. Right before we started doing this show, he graduated in 2014, and I feel like he was a he was a he was a truly polarizing player for the Blue Devils because we never made the Final Four when he was on the team. He was not a top recruit, but he got a ton of minutes, and and Coach K clearly loved him. Anyway, the Tyler Thornton Jordan part Goldwire? aside, Jordan Goldwire,
1: anyone? <laughs>
2: he, well, <laughs> see, like. See, like fine, you want to have to kind of <laughs> do this conversation <laughs> now? I don't think we've I don't think we've talked nearly enough about Tyler Thornton on this program. I think that Jordan Goldwire is it is a slightly different comp because like Jordan Goldwire has been objectively one of the five best players on the team. And like there were points this past season really? where Goldwire was like, yes, there were times where we were talking about how Goldwire was was one of the guys who had to be in the starting lineup because he was he was making that much of an impact. His defense was that good. I feel like Tyler Thornton – Coach K really thought that Tyler Thornton was one of the four best players on the team, and I'm not sure that he ever was, but everyone treated him that way, and it was like – I'll put it this way. There were games where Jordan Goldwire was clearly the most important player. We talked about – you know, we yeah, gave player true. of the week nominations to Jordan Goldwire. I don't know how many player of the weeks we would have given to Tyler Thornton, at least in weeks where – A Kansas game. That this game, sure. game we would have, yeah. But, but <laughs> for one shot.
0: Reason,
2: part, right. Part of the reason it was so celebrated and amazing is that it was Tyler Thornton that made that shot, right? If Nolan Smith had made – Nolan Smith wasn't on the team anymore. But if Nolan Smith had made that shot, it would have been like a different – a whole different thing. So, right. Uh, I don't know. I think I like Tyler Thornton because he was a D.C. guy and and he – there was it was like all humility from him, so I don't think he cared that that he like wasn't that good, but that he was kind of the the heart and soul of the team. Um, he also played with Josh Hairston, another Duke player that I don't think Duke fans like to talk about very much, but also just seemed like a really good dude. So so I really don't want to. Kevin, talk no one no one no got hyper
0: no one got hyper before a game than Josh Hairston. Straight up, I, I would I will go to my grave saying this. No I, I was at a game. I was hype man. No one was hyper than this man. I remember going to a game. I was standing in the what was at that point the uh, the section for um, the line monitors, but it was facing the Duke bench. He came out and literally just just strolled out, went right up to like within like two feet of my face and just was like just shook his head and goes. These motherfuckers ain't ready, and I just like, <laughs> lost my. I just lost my shit. I was like, the whole crowd was just going absolutely insane, <laughs> and, and like, everyone, probably- like we destroyed. I don't know. Who, I don't even remember who we played, but that team did not have a chance because literally, he all he had to do was say, "These motherfuckers aren't ready," and, and the entire crowd just went absolutely nuts.
2: And in that game, Josh Hairston probably had two points,
0: one rebound, and four fouls. If that, <laughs> if that, he won. He it, it, sometimes you win the battle before the battle begins. That was Josh Hairston.
1: Okay, ho- hold on, hold on. So, so let's go back to you,
0: the, the Howard.
1: <laughs> I want no. Hold on. I want to give you the junior year statistics. I've looked this up just in the past thirty seconds. The junior <laughs> year statistics of Jordan Goldwire and Tyler Thornton. Okay, I think full season. This is not an unfair comparison. Full season yeah. statistics. Ready? So I will yes, start. Please. I will start with points per game. Tyler Thornton averaged three point six points per game. Jordan Goldwire averaged four point seven. Not a meaningful difference there. No rebounds. Goldwire 2.3, I'm sorry, Thornton 2.3, Goldwire 2.5. Again, exactly the same. same. assists. Thornton 2.2, Goldwire 2.3. Exactly the same. Steals, steals. We think Jordan Goldwire is this great, amazing defender. What Tyler Thornton, 1.3 steals per game. Jordan Goldwire, 1.5 steals per game. Hey, how about shooting percentage, okay? Let's take three-point shooting percentage, all right? Tyler Thornton, three-point shooting percentage as a junior, 39.2%. <laughs> Jordan Goldwire, 35.4%. They are the same player. If you are going to criticize, I, and, and look, I'm being overly simplistic, I guess. And I agree. I think Jordan Goldwire is a better individual defender, um, one-on-one defender. I think he's better than Tyler Thornton was. Not by a lot, 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 but, but he, is, he is better. But they aren't, like, hugely different players. I don't understand. I think maybe it's because Jordan Goldwire, we feel like came out of left field more than Tyler Thornton did. But I don't know why, I, you know, I, I agree with you, Sam. People sort of feel like Tyler Thornton. They're like, eh, I don't know. And people love Jordan Goldwire. I'm telling you from, the, from in terms of their impact on the floor, I just don't think there's that
2: big a difference. Am I wrong? Jordan Goldwire hasn't lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament yet.
0: So. Yeah. i will about say, the, it all depends on the teams good. too. It, it's sometimes, I mean, Tyler yeah. Thornton was a player's player, but you know some of the players on the team, just the, the chemistry just wasn't there. Whereas with Jordan Goldwire, I also think would be a player's player. But when it comes to some of the guys that he's played with, he hasn't had to do much to star. And when he is called to step up, we've seen him do that. And I think Tyler Thornton did the same thing, too. I feel like we could go on they, about this.
1: One of them played with Zion Williamson. One of them played with Austin Rivers.
2: <laughs>
0: right, right. But then but then one of them played like the
2: 2013 team that made the elite 8 and lost because of Kevin Ware's broken leg voodoo, right? Tyler Thornton was the point guard on that team or he was one of the guards on, yeah. I, don't, yeah. I think I don't know if he wasn't the best guard on the team, right? Seth Curry was a was a senior on that team. So he was like the most important lead guard. I don't know if he was technically the point guard, but Tyler Thornton played a lot in 2013 as a junior and on a really good team. So like so what, Like right? Like that team was really awesome and, and was final four caliber. And if we had been doing the show in 2013, we would all be talking about how Duke was getting primed for a, for a big final four run featuring, featuring Seth Curry and seniors, Ryan Kelly and Mason Plumley. right? That, that team was awesome. And Tyler Thornton was an important part of that team. So like, why don't we like him more?
1: I I can't, I don't know. I can't answer it. I, I don't have an answer so, to that.
2: Is it, so, do we love Tyler Thornton? I think we do. I think we've just concluded today in 2020 that we love Tyler Thornton. <laughs> let's go back to to Howard basketball recruiting, the topic that we are now expert in, where where Tyler Thornton. Look, let's just assume that Tyler Thornton was the lead recruiter for for McCord Maker, which, by the way, great, very confusing name because that his first name <laughs> and his last name are exactly the same. And that's which One it's letter. sort of like the bull situation, um, but but anyway, I'm very happy for Kenny Blakely and for Tyler Thornton, especially DC native Tyler Thornton and Kenny Blakely is also from DC, right? So we got a, we got the whole it's all DC guys running the running the staff here at Howard, which is awesome. Even though they all went to Duke, but but it's great for them. I think we're excited about it because we all talked about how we would be excited for them, and it would be bad if we had feigned that kind of excitement. It's cool for for Howard. It's a program that obviously does not have a lot of, of NCAA tournament success or anything like that. But as we said, I think last time we talked about them specifically, they're in the middle of one of the biggest recruiting hotbeds. DC always produces good basketball talent. And that's not just because I'm from there. In fact, it has nothing to do with me being from there. It has to do with there being great programs all around the city and and, and around the DMV. So Howard is right there in a, in a place with, with lots of talent. And and it's cool for for Duke guys to be to be part of this little revolution I think that might be happening for HBCU basketball. So uh, I think I'm I'm wishing McCormaker Maker uh, all the success in the world in what will hopefully be only one year for him at Howard before he goes pro.
0: Yeah, and I, I really like this. I really like this play. I, I want to talk briefly about the fact that. Everyone was around it was very focused on Mikey Williams and him being happy for Maker uh, when he declared for Howard. Let me tell you why that doesn't really matter because Mikey Williams has two years left to college. A lot can happen in two years and Maker is not going to be there because keep in mind that before he committed to Howard just a couple months ago, he actually declared for the NBA because he thought that he had enough credits from high school and had graduated, you know, long enough that he was eligible and the NBA granted him the eligibility. And he just recently backed out saying, I intend to go to college first. So he's going to be there for one year. And then he's going to try to take a shot in the NBA. Like I said, he comes from a background. His, his, his brother is in the NBA. He has another brother in the G league. He is trying to shoot for the stars here. Now, when it comes to Mikey Williams, I think this is a good step because it's clear that these two are friends, but I don't think if it's about like, you know, Last year when we had Zion and RJ uh, just kind of texting each other and Cam just all in the text chain, just text each other about how they're all going to go to school together. This is not happening in this case. So I think that when it comes to uh, Mikey Williams's recruitment, that is going to be completely separate. But I do think this is a huge get for Kenny Blakeney, a huge get for Howard, and a huge get for HBCUs. Everything we talked about last week just accelerated by several years in our state, in our opinion, and, and happened this week. This is the start. If this is going to be the catalyst that gets more people looking at the HBCU, all for it. Jason. Right, right. And,
1: and, the, and the impact here is, uh, yes, obviously it's a one-year impact when Maker is there, but the impact is not the one and dones necessarily. It's those guys who are top 30, top 50, top 75, top 100, who really aren't considering HBCUs that much and now will start to. And, and so Mikey Williams is excited because he thought he was going to be the trailblazer. The fact that someone else is blazing the trail means that when he arrives, if he, if he does pick an HBCU, if he does pick someplace like Howard, when he arrives in a couple of years, hopefully he's arriving at an HBCU that has a better program, has, has gotten a couple of years worth of better recruits. And, And that's why I think something really important in all of this is, and this is going to seem crazy. I think it's really important that maker actually attends Howard for a year. And, and that's not a done deal. I mean, Donald, you talked about he had declared for the NBA draft or, or, or he was trying to explore ways of getting the NBA draft. I want everyone to remember that Thonmaker was originally committed to Arizona State, to Bobby Hurley. He was going to be a program changer for Bobby Hurley. And then he decided not to play any college ball at all. He figured out a loophole, and he got his way into the NBA directly from high school. Um, and there's been a lot of talk that Makura Maker is going to try and do something similar or he's going to play in the G League team. I hope the fact that Thonmaker makes millions of dollars means that Makura Maker won't feel like he needs to grab for the money right away and that he does go to school for a year. But I think it's really important to Howard and, and to Kenny Blakeney and Tyler Thornton that he actually shows up on campus and that they have a good season um, you know, and that he performs well at Howard so that he's blazing a trail that other guys want to follow. He's giving them publicity right now. He's given us a lot of attention, and people we're talking more about Howard than we have about Duke in the past few weeks. So that's great for Howard, but but there's got to be a follow-through on the court. And and I just hope he doesn't pull the rug out from under Kenny Blakeney the same way his brother did to Bobby Hurley.
2: So I had to go back and read a little bit more about Tyler Thornton because I was unprepared to talk about him when we started this, and now I'm just battling <laughs> off facts. I forgot that Tyler Thornton spent a couple of years on Steve Wojciechowski's staff at Marquette do you think that in any of the years that he was there, they practiced offense once? Or did they just – did the Wojo, Tyler Thornton teams exclusively practice defense because that's all they cared about?
0: They had Marcus Howard, so you know they practiced at least to give the ball to Will offense.
2: It was, well, it was very easy. They were just like, give the ball to Marcus Howard. Yeah. Now we're going to – all right, guys, let's go back and, and play more defense. And that's exactly
0: <laughs> how they played too.
2: There's no chance that they had fun in practice on those teams.
1: <laughs> if you've seen. If you've seen Marcus Howard play defense, though, it doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, defense like he, you know, he's allergic no. to defense. So, <laughs> but that's fine. He can score fifty points a game. So, Never. you know, sometimes the, you can overcome that.
2: The two thousand thirteen Duke team, I don't think, was renowned for defense, and and they played great. So, right, whatever. Now I'm gonna go check that against Ken Palm. Let's move on to the next thing.
0: <laughs> Coming <laughs> up after the commercial break, we are going to get into something that. Literally dropped maybe an hour and a half after our previous episode, but something that shook the heavens in all of sports. More after this. All right, we're back here on the Duke Basketball Report podcast, and we are going to talk about Duke basketball. but. Wait, what's up?
2: I looked I'm looking at Ken Palm now. In two thousand thirteen. Duke was twenty sixth in adjusted defensive efficiency. Um so maybe not you know what? Forget forget what I what I said earlier. I, I guess they were they weren't very good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you want to edit
2: that out or are we leave it in. No, no 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 just leave all this in. The, the, we're this, it look, in. look, okay. Look, okay. Look Tell folks, me. I don't I don't know I don't know every fact about about Duke basketball. That is not my job here. My job, I think, is just to entertain you with some of the facts about Duke basketball. And also the other thing that I that I double-checked now that we're back from the break, Tyler Thornton and Kenny Blakeney are both from D.C. Kenny Blakeney went to DeMatha and Tyler Thornton went to Gonzaga High School. So they are locked in on recruiting uh, the DMV. That's all. I, I swear we're done with Tyler Thornton now. Can we talk about the next thing?
0: Okay. And for the big news... We wanted to save this segment for last because it's a very important one and one that, again, like I mentioned before the commercial break, dropped literally an hour and a half, maybe two hours after we recorded the last episode. You may have heard Sam's teaser uh, at the beginning of the last episode that discussed the fact that we were not going to discuss it because of when we recorded. But it is something that's very important. It's something that we do need to discuss because it literally took the sports world by storm. Coach Mike Krzyzewski unleashed a video about Black Lives Matter that was two minutes and forty seven seconds and it was extremely, extremely powerful. He apparently did it all in one take. It was it was not pre like rehearsed or anything. It was not where they knew he was going to do it. Apparently he just walked in and said, I have something I need to say, turn on the camera. And what he said was one of the most powerful videos we've seen to yet in from any sports figure in this Black Lives Matter movement. Jason, I go to you first. Tell me what your thoughts are on the video and really just the, how it's really shaped the discussion in college basketball and all of sports.
1: I'm so glad you pointed out that, that it was unrehearsed, that it was not on prompt or anything like that. I could tell watching it that it was coming straight from his heart and that this was something that was important for him to say. And This was not him reading a prepared statement From the Duke, you know, sports information and PR people, Um, and that—that's part of, I think, what made it so powerful um, was that you could tell he truly feels this way, and he's not just posing. Um, It's an important thing that needed to be said. Uh, Coach K has really. if you look back at the expanse of his career as someone who talks a little bit about political kind of things, he doesn't do it very often. But he has there's been an evolution of Coach K's character. Um, uh, folks, if you don't know this, back in the '80s, Coach K was was a conservative. Coach K was a Republican. Now I don't know that he he said he doesn't want this to be political, and this is not Black Lives Matter. And the and the the statement that Coach K made is not a political statement. It's not anti Republican. It's not pro Democrat. It's got to do with basic human rights and treating people um, as they should be treated as human beings. Um, But but to me, I think it is significant that Coach K has made this this transformation from someone who used to speak on one side of the aisle and who now, um, to some extent, speaks on the other side of the aisle. He has spent an entire career working largely with young African-American men. And, and I, I think he feels very deeply for the plight that they suffer, that he as a white man does, you know, never experienced and doesn't understand. Um, and I'm glad that he has put himself on the forefront um, of all of this. It, it It's, it's just, it's, it's an important thing for us to talk about. Um, I'm a white guy and I'm not, I'm not qualified to talk about it, frankly. Donald, why, why'd you toss to me? It, it's not for me to talk about. It. It's just for me to support the people who are doing the proper work. So that's, that's all I've got to say about it, and I'm glad that Coach K, I think, probably feels the same kind of way. We need to support the people who are doing this important work.
2: I think you can go back 15 years. We I, I brought it up sort of in passing when we were talking about the women's basketball search, but go back 15 years to the lacrosse scandal and Duke's image as as a university, locally in Durham, and then nationally, and how it it was how Duke related to the Black community, whether it was in its own backyard or, or anywhere else. And then look at where we are today with Coach K making a, what I would call a raw statement about Black Lives Matter on the, on the official Duke men's basketball page. It's a, it's a huge, tra- as you said, Jason, it's a huge transformation for him. And I think it speaks a lot to the kind of progress that, that the university and the athletic department have been trying to make since their low point in 2006. It it was really powerful. As you said, it it seemed like it wasn't they said it wasn't rehearsed and that it just sort of came from his heart. It sounded like that. I mean, if you've listened to Coach K in press conferences, that's what he sounds like, where he kind of stumbles over the word a little bit. That was that was pure Coach K. So I I thought it was really cool. Uh, it, it got a lot of, I think it got a lot of positive attention from, from his former players and from other people around the basketball community. He's obviously one of the most influential people in all of basketball, right? He was the USA basketball coach for a long time. He's one of the two most important head coaches in, in college basketball right now. So it it, it was cool. Wait, I was glad. It, well, coach Cal has a coach. Cal has a lot of influence, no, no, too, right? No,
1: stop. He's stop, the most stop.
2: important, whatever. Fine. We're not no
1: no. He is number one. He has more wins than anyone in college basketball history. He has right, the most national right, right, championships right, of anyone currently coaching college right, basketball. Right, yeah. He's the most Final Four's women currently 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 coaching college basketball. Blah 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 okay. blah Record 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 record. He's number one right now. Period. End of story. Okay, continue.
2: <laughs> Sorry, I didn't look. I'm like I'm I'm trying to lay it out in like the in the least Duke fan way possible. He's still very important.
1: Right? That's fine. That's fine. So I think so, Kentucky fans would admit that Coach K is more important than Coach Cal.
2: So I, I think it's. I, I, I think it's really awesome and I was glad to see it. And And I think it also speaks to, you know, people like to speculate about when is coach K going to retire? Does he still have it in him? All that kind of stuff. You watch that video. Sure. He stumbles over the words a little bit, I think because he's thinking about it on the spot and he, he's not paid to be an orator. So th- this is not exactly his main job, but he is totally plugged in with what's going on. He knows, he knows what's in the news. He knows how to talk about it. He uses all the right words, um, and I'm sure he's he's connecting with his players and his assistants on all of these issues. So, Coach K is as sharp, I think, as he's ever been.
0: I think when it comes to that, the word "raw" that you use this is perfect to describe it. It is raw, and you know some of the thoughts that I've had on this on this show a few episodes back. Those are raw. They're emotional. They they bring they channel some energy that. You know, some people just can't channel, and for some people, it's very difficult to re- relive that pain that that you could hear in his words. Uh, and, and I think he recognizes where where his role is as we move forward in this, and he's made he's made it his his you know his stance that he needs to take a proactive role, and he did that with those those words. I'll say a couple of things. There's a couple of things that stood out to me besides the words, besides how he projected himself he wore a USA basketball jacket or pullover behind a duke logo. Now, you're thinking okay, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but he's pointing something out with that when he says that he's he's representing duke basketball. He's representing USA basketball, which in theory and when we go to the Olympics, those people are representing the United States of America and he recognizes that his his you know, role extends beyond duke and that this this debate, this topic extends beyond Duke. It extends to the entirety of the United States and even the world. So I think when he's doing that, he did that on purpose. And I appreciated that he brought that imagery into it because it was very, it it was very subtle, but I immediately picked up on it. The second thing was when I said it shook the heavens and the pillars of sports, I meant that because the first, I, I saw the video obviously on the Duke men's basketball feed it's the most watched video they've had ever of all time since they started creating videos. This is the one that has s- shown the most. And the this first bigger?
2: Donald, this was bigger
0: than Kyle gets buckets. This was ca- bigger than everything. In fact, it was bigger than like some of the top 10 combined, but I will tell you what really stood out to me was not who liked it, but who actively retweeted it. The first 20 that I saw were former UNC players well before our players. And I'm not saying that it's the race to be first, but the fact that they took time out to say, I, I battled against this man when I was in college, I hate, you know, I I went to a rival school, but these words mean everything to me. That tells you that what he said resonated with a lot of people and, and that a lot of people appreciated that someone uh, of that elevated stature we talk about coaches he's top two and he ain't two right for someone to <laughs> say that at at that level everyone listens it was the it was the leading story on on every sports show because he knew when he spoke the world would listen and, it, and it's just like some of these other athletes when they speak the world stops to listen and he recognized that he has that power. He has that platform. And I'm so glad that he used it in this way to really bring about the debate, debate. I mean, even on our forums, we had you – know, we'll call it a spirited debate back and forth about his words. But the fact that we – people were stopping what they had to do to listen to that man's words and for other people who have no business liking anything. I mean – and here's the thing. They did that knowing they would take heat from their fan bases. The UNC players did not care. They, they were sitting there calling out people in their own comments who were like, yo, this is bigger than Duke UNC. This is bigger than college basketball. You guys need to wake up. And I, I think he was able to do that. He was able to bring together a lot of people that normally aren't together in this and really say, yo, that man from Duke basketball, Coach K, really said something that resonates with me, and I really appreciate that.
1: You know, we, are, we say all the time we are so thankful. We have guys like Coach K and and Coach Cut who who represent Duke so well. I mean, like th- there's just never anything embarrassing. There's never anything wrong that happens surrounding our programs, and we are incredibly blessed to have have those guys uh, you know at the helm of our programs, making sure that 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 happens. I I'm, I just want a quick non sequitur. Uh, thank God I'm not an Oklahoma State fan because this week. Uh, their coach was dealing with the exact opposite side of the situation. We, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the broadcast. Mike Gundy of Oklahoma State, um, you know, ran into some trouble because he, uh, he he was too sympathetic to to a television network that that appears to espouse some racist and conspiratorial views and things like that. And he got in some trouble with some of his players. So, so Mike Gundy this week came out with a statement. I just want people to really quick understand where I am on this. Uh, they announced that they'd done a thorough investigation. Oklahoma state did a thorough investigation, of their football program, and they found no evidence of racism whatsoever in the program. But Mike Gundy felt so bad about the misunderstanding and the things that were going wrong that Mike Gundy decided, they said Oklahoma state said it was all on Mike Gundy. It, you know, he decided on his own to cut his pay by a million dollars. He went from a $5 million a year contract to $4 million a year. And that he cut a year off his contract. I think he had four years left. Now he only has three years left. And, and, he uh, I'm sorry, went from five years down to four years, and, um, and his guarantee in his contract, he had like 75% fully guaranteed. It went down to only 50%. They said, Mike Gundy offered up all these concessions. He gave back all this money. He cut his contract because he feels so bad about this whole issue. Um, so, so first of all, boy, aren't we lucky that we aren't dealing with a coach who's having to give up things to apologize for being completely insensitive to the world that we live in today. second of all, can I just point out really quick, that's complete and utter BS. Mike Gundy didn't decide to give up those things. Mike Gundy didn't walk into the athletic director's office and say, hey, you know what? You're paying me too much. Let me give you back a million bucks. My contract's too long. Take a year off my contract. I don't need these guarantees. Mike Gundy walked into the athletic director's office. and The athletic director said, hey, Mike, I might have to fire you, buddy. Let's figure out if we can come up with something that we can say you did to pretend to save your job. You know, hey, let's do all these things you'll still make $4 million a year rather than $5 million. Year. You can live off of $4 million, right, Mike? And you can keep your damn job, man. So let's pretend like you said this. I'm not for a second believing that Mike Gundy actually decided to do those things. So I just wanted to say, thank God we're Duke University, and we are talking about how great our coach is at handling the most important issues of the day, as opposed to lots of these other schools who have coaches who are just nitwits and don't understand, they don't see what's changing and happening in society, and they're being left, you know, In the back of the bus so to speak as the rest of us plow forward on the important societal issues that are driving change right now
0: and i will say on on the mike gundy thing i think that links back kind of to what a bone that i have to pick i mean when coach k came out with his raw statement it was something that you know black people are asking for white people and other people of color to recognize what we've had to go through the last 400 years really recognize it really you know start to understand it or begin to learn themselves educate themselves to understand what is going on in america and and get down to the root of it so that we can fix it coach k understands that this whole giving money back thing we ain't asked for that like it's a a bone that we have to pick about these sort of gestures these like platitudes that they give say hey you know the, the nfl basically said hey we're going to play the black national anthem instead of the regular national anthem. We didn't ask for that. Like that's not helping anything. That is not something that drives the the conversation. It's not something that everyone's going to say, Oh, now racism's healed guys. Let's go back to playing football. No, they're doing that to show, Hey, we, we see you, we hear you. And those words mean nothing when they're not addressing some of the things that they really have to, uh, they have to address and i think some sports are doing that like the nba they're talking about bringing in you know have back black lives matter on the court the players are coming up with their own ways to do visual protests uh during the national anthem or, or during the game they're also talking about the nba jerseys and jason i think you have an update on the jerseys right
1: yeah yeah so what the nba the nba has approved by the way i think it's sort of sort of silly that the NBA had to approve certain social messages, but the NBA has said to the players, hey, we've approved 29 different social justice statements that you can have on the back of your jersey instead of your name. So instead of it saying LeBron James, it could say, I can't breathe, or peace, or Black Lives Matter, or say their name, or hear us, or respect us, all kinds of, there are 29 different statements, power to the people, justice now, vote One of the statements is vote. Um, So I think it's really it's great that the NBA has has come up with this list of of things, and and I think you're going to see players, you know, players don't care about their name on their back. They know their name. They have they have a message that they want to send. I think you're going to see a lot of them um, with with these different statements on the back of their jersey in place of their name. Um, and And I think I think it's great that the NBA the NBA is taking the lead. Of of all these organizations, all these sporting leagues, in terms of um, recognizing the need to 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 make social justice statements.
0: So I will I will mention I I I agree with you. I think the jerseys are fantastic. You saw how they were very successful. The English Premier League. I, I probably have four or five of jerseys from uh, different teams there, headed to my front door as we speak. Uh, and I I guarantee you that if uh, they have some of these for the NBA and they you know, allow people to buy them to raise money for different charities. I'm a Pistons fan, but there's going to be some, you know, Wizards guy, that you know, Beal or Wall that's going to have his jersey also in my closet. But I will say this, there's that part and that is leading the conversation. That's allowing the players to express themselves and lead the conversation. Another way to do that is to mobilize. And I will point out that the NBA was not the first to really do that. Major League Soccer, all the black players got together to form their own co- coalition a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was actually working with a couple of those players to, you know, behind the scenes to kind of make it happen and, and really to, you know, hone their ideas in it and, and really give them some advice uh, on how they should proceed. One of, you know, several people who are doing that. But I think when it comes to these players, this is going to be one step. And I think the league is going to have to, you know, really allow the platform to be used. And, you know, again, we're still talking about a pandemic where some guys are, are opting out for you know reasons because of their health. And, and I think when it comes to that, everyone's going to have to arrive at the table and say, how do we make this more than just a gesture? The Mike Gundy thing is a gesture. What, what Coach K is doing and what others are trying to do, the NBA, are trying to actually steer the conversation, drive it, and be the people in the driver's seat making it go beyond the parking lot. So uh, I, I think when it comes to that, I, I really look forward to seeing what the NBA what the is going to do. In addition to that, because I think there are still more things coming, but all of these things are part of about driving the conversation and making people really stop and think, hey, what can I do to make this world better for other people? Because right now we live in a world where everyone works to make the world better for themselves. And for black people, that doesn't help. At all, because it keeps us further back as we, uh, as we move forward. Sam, did you have anything before we wrapped up? I think Donald, you,
2: you made that point really eloquently that it is a, it's a process that I think the country is going through right now, and it will take time. This is not, we're not going to to solve any of these social justice issues just because everyone knows that they exist. it it takes conversations and I don't think prior to this moment that we on this show have have gotten too deep on 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 any uh, any any social issues in this country, but I'm glad that we're talking about it now because because we're just you know another small part in the in the grander conversation. So let's keep it up and and I hope that it's a that this is a productive space for us and for our listeners.
0: Well said. And if you guys out there have comments or or questions uh, for for future podcasts, please email them to us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. That's going to do it for episode number 215 of the DBR podcast. Jason, Sam, thank you guys so much for joining me on this holiday weekend. And as we progress into the new week, may the Duke band play us a little melody, take us home. Big ups for Tyler Thornton.